Welcome. Uh, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Caleb Barlow. And Caleb is the CEO of Synergistech. And for those not familiar, um, Caleb, tell us about Synergistech. Sure, Jeff. So Synergistic is a boutique cybersecurity consultancy focused predominantly on the healthcare market and adjacencies to the healthcare market. Our, uh, we do things like helping uh, provider organizations do their annual security assessments. We do uh, audits for the electronic prescription of controlled substances and you know, really help companies with any kind of remediation efforts that they might have in preparing themselves to be better protected from a security perspective. So are you strictly focusing on healthcare? Uh, not strictly. About uh, 20 to 30 percent of our revenue comes outside of healthcare, but healthcare is certainly the predominant practice in our business. Okay. Well, before we do get too far, um, I know you're, you've recently joined the company. And I figured that you were looking at this as an investment, you know, quite a large one because of your time. So what type of due diligence did you do before joining, and what got you most excited about the company? Well, one of the things you have to keep in mind when you look at the cybersecurity market overall, there's about 1,200 vendors in that market, almost all of which are venture-funded. So it is very difficult to actually get underneath and understand what are particular companies actually doing, uh, get an understanding of their actual revenue, their actual posture. Uh, in fact, those companies that are public are typically very large companies that have you know, already gone through their trials and tribulations and uh, you know, are, are kind of working their way into their valuation. So one of the things that was actually kind of refreshing about Synergistic is because it's a public company, everything is there to take a look at. So you could really understand where were the company's strengths, where were its weaknesses, what needed to be done. And not only was that a bit refreshing because you just don't see that in this market, but also it gave me a really good perspective on the capabilities, the people, and its ability to grow. Okay. And, you know, the company um, has gone through a lot of changes, and, and, uh, and you have a new focus. Are, are you 100% into the new business, or is there still some of the, the leg legacy business uh, there in the revenue? No, the legacy business is all gone. Um, the six months prior or so, the company, uh, most of the company was in a managed print business, literally going out and changing paper and toner in copiers and printers throughout a hospital. Um, in addition to that, they also had a cybersecurity business. So you can kind of imagine how that unfolded. The managed print business was you know, seen as although highly profitable as declining over time uh, in terms of its long-term prospects. Meanwhile, the cybersecurity business is really starting to take off in terms of its long-term growth potential. Uh, the board made a decision uh, prior to my arrival to sell off the managed print business and uh, use the proceeds from that to really continue to invest in the cybersecurity business. Okay. And for the cybersecurity business, uh, who are your customers? Who, who do you target? Well, you know, our primary customer base today is everything from the small regional hospital all the way up to large academic medical centers or, um, you know, large institutions. 
so it can, it can literally be all across the map. Uh, I mean, a large percentage of our customers are nonprofits, uh, up to some very profitable hospitals, right? So we cover that entire space. But what that means is that we really get in and understand that market, what the specific challenges are in that market, and how best to respond to that. You know, I think one of my criticisms of the security market overall is that oftentimes, particularly when a client's been breached, you'll send people in, but you don't know anything about that business or anything about what's required to maintain the resiliency of that business, what's critical. In our case, you know, our staff is made up of people that are everything from regulators to former practitioners and providers. And we've got the ability not only to provide that advice and guidance because we've actually been in the seat before. Okay. And, and then what, what does, uh, for the markets that you address, what does the competitive landscape look like and, and how do you guys stand out and compete, you know, given size? Well, oddly enough, if you look at the overall cybersecurity landscape, you kind of stare at the 1,200 vendors and go, wow, that's really frothy from a competitive standpoint. But then when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that almost all of that competition sits in a, first of all, it's mostly all product-centric, it's mostly all venture-funded, and almost all of it is built around tools to find and detect the adversary. Uh, so they're tools that operate inside of a security operations center. We actually sit just adjacent to that. We help people do their original assessments and continually assess their environments to say, hey, do I have the right tools in my environment? Do I have the right security posture? Have I configured them properly? Am I using them in the right way? Well, interestingly enough, in that slightly adjacent space, especially in healthcare, we don't have a ton of competition. Now, we do have competitors, but nothing compared to that frothy uh, environment you get with the 1,200 vendors that are competing for space in the Security Operations Center. So by staying just to the outside of that, uh, we enjoy a very high reputation with our clients. And in fact, in a very recent Black Books uh, survey, our clients identified us, our clients along with you know, uh, institutions across the healthcare space, identified us as the top cybersecurity consultancy in the healthcare space for security. So when it comes to the, the software end of it, are, are you, are you uh, agnostic or do you have proprietary products as well? We do not produce any software products. Uh, we are, um, I guess the best way I could put it is we're agnostic, but we have a lot of strong opinions. Okay. And um, partners, or are you going this alone? Well, we do have some partners, and they vary by service lines. But, you know, for example, in our privacy monitoring service, we actually monitor patient health care records to look for inappropriate access. Uh, we partner with tool vendors there. Uh, same thing with our vendor security management, where we assess the security posture of all of the vendors selling into or partnering with a healthcare institution. We'll partner there as well. Um, it's not uncommon for us to recommend products, but one of the reasons we act in that trusted advisor status with our clients is we're not profiting uh, off of a product sale. Okay. And is this done through your own sales force, or are you going through VARs, or, or what? It's all done through our own sales force today, uh, predominantly face-to-face. -face. Okay. 
and and the growth. Um, do you have all the pieces you need? I, I noticed that you guys made an acquisition. Do you intend to grow organically or, or via more acquisition? Well, a little bit of both. So we've talked publicly about this in a long strategy call that we walked the market through about a month ago. Um, there are there continues to be organic growth opportunities uh, in our kind of home base. In addition to that, there are a variety of adjacent opportunities that we can go pursue through small acquisitions. Uh, so Backbone Consultants was a very recent acquisition, uh, three principal partners, uh, 18 total consultants, no overhead. Uh, they had no back office, so it was kind of a perfect fit. We were able to plug them in and keep right on running, as well as give them a back office that they didn't have. So we're always looking for those kind of opportunistic acquisitions that can be accretive. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a healthy opportunity to continue to grow this organically as well. Okay. And and what's the biggest gating factor for growth? Well, the gating factor for growth in a market with uh, about 2 million open unfiltered cybersecurity jobs, probably about 300,000 of which are in the U.S., is people, right? So the challenge always is finding people with talent. There's no shortage of ideas or things to chase. It's finding the people that can deliver on those. Now, we've got a really good track record of getting the people we need. And, you know, in addition to that, uh, we often serve as a professional staffing for many hospitals for security roles because, you know, a experienced cybersecurity professional is probably more likely to work for us than they are a small regional hospital, let's say, in down east Maine. Uh, because we can offer them career growth opportunities as well as the opportunity to move around. Yeah, and the, the flip side of that, um, the, the growth drivers. Well, I mean, the the growth drivers. Um, I hate to call this a growth driver because I I feel like I should take a shower after saying it, but you know, honestly, bad guys continue to drive growth in this market. Um, they really have been relentless on the healthcare market in particular. The average cost of a breach now in healthcare is 69% higher than that in any other industry. So if you're breached as a healthcare institution, it's going to cost you more on an average of about $6.45 million. Um, it's also one of the markets that's most likely to be targeted by bad guys. So as unfortunate as to say that, you know, the fact that this market continues to be targeted um, makes it a major growth driver. But the other big growth driver in this space is continuing regulation. Um, you know, as we continue to see breaches and data exfiltrated, um, you know, regulation comes into place. Many of those regulations have requirements for third-party auditors or assessments. We're there to provide those. Uh, but lastly, I think people are just becoming more sophisticated. I mean, just like a lot of attention has been paid to infection rates at hospitals, I mean, the last thing you want to do is show up for a procedure and come home with an infection. At the same, you know, in the same kind of weird analog, you know, you don't want to show up at a hospital for a procedure and come home with identity theft. And that can very easily happen today. So I think as the awareness that patient safety now extends into cybersecurity, uh, we're starting to see budgets open up and people pay a lot more attention to this market. Now, Synergistic, uh, are you guys uh, primarily just trying to prevent the breach, or do you do work after there is a breach as well? We do both. So, uh, you know, we will go in and help institutions 
after breaches occurred as well. And that's becoming even more important lately. Um, just in the last month or two, we've seen oh, at least four or five different institutions involved in destructive attacks where rather than the bad guys going in and stealing data, they're actually locking up systems. And that can be pretty catastrophic in a hospital when all of a sudden you can't access patient records, patient histories, and the schedule. I mean, imagine being in an OR suite and having no idea who's going to walk in the door in the next two hours for an operation or what that operation is and who is scheduled to have it. Um, that's literally what's happening when these hospitals are locked up with ransomware. And what that means is they often have to stop seeing new patients, shut down operating rooms, uh, in some cases divert patients uh, from coming to the ER. And you know those simple actions can have a kinetic impact on people that can be long-lasting. So you know you've d done a good job of telling us about the business, but cybersecurity is such a big word. You know it encompasses so much. Can you keep uh, you know one customer in mind, a, a key customer, and give us an idea of all the things that that you're doing for them? Yeah. So if we think about what anybody's got to do. Um, there are, you know, kind of three big things that any institution, whether in healthcare or not, really has to think about right now from the security perspective. The first is what type of protection do they provide on the endpoint, you know, on the actual workstation. Now, remember, the challenge in a hospital is we're not just talking about laptops and PCs. We're also talking about medical devices you know, x-rays, MRIs, uh, ultrasound equipment, things that are implanted in people, um, some of which don't even have a keyboard, let alone might be running on an operating system that's five or ten years old. All of those endpoints have to be understood, they have to be accounted for, and they have to be secured. The, the second thing that any of these institutions have to think about is their network. How do they segment and protect their network so that if one thing is infected, it can't easily spread? And you know, we can kind of use the analogy of a disease here really quickly. You know, and a great example of this might be an academic medical center where you know, there's a university, uh, there's a hospital, and then there's, you know, let's say, a surgical suite in the hospital. Those three things should not be on the same network. Right? You, know, you don't ever want to have a situation where something or an infection that's happening on the university side, maybe in a dorm room, can accidentally and somehow spread into a surgical suite. And as simple as that sounds, that can be a very difficult challenge for many institutions because guess what? Their doctors are also professors and teach on both sides of the campus. So it's not uncommon to see the same network uh, extending across in what we call a flat network. So that's the second big thing that people are really focused on. And, and the third piece, which sounds really simple today, uh, but is incredibly important, is two-factor authentication. So having something beyond just your password to validate you in a system. That might be a text message to your mobile phone. It might be an application. It might be some sort of smart ID that you wear. But having two-factor authentication everywhere is critical because that makes it much more difficult for the bad guys to try to pretend to be you. Okay. So how do we make money here? Uh, what, what's the, the revenue model look like? 
Well, the, the revenue model consists of really three different areas. Um, so let me start with the simplest, which is professional services, effectively staff augmentation. Um, it's, uh, interestingly enough, a very viable business because many of these institutions can't find adequate staff. We'll provide them for them. Uh, just like any other staffing business. The next step above that is consulting, exactly what it sounds like. Uh, consulting is typically project-based, uh, much more predictable from a revenue perspective where you know, the professional services business can be very lumpy. Uh, but our kind of flagship is what we call managed service, where a lot of what we're doing, what would typically be presented more as consulting in most other companies, we're bringing forward as a flat rate managed service. So for example, you need to go and audit your um, every system that's involved in the prescribing of a controlled substance to make sure that the security posture there is in place. And any time that system changes, that audit needs to be you know, done again. We could package that up for a client as a fixed rate, as an example, or a reoccurring stream of revenue so that it was just taken care of. Uh, that's a new area we're getting into, uh, but is a good example of something that could be packaged up as a managed service. Uh, another area which is packaged as a managed service today uh, is our assessments business. So we call it the Compliance Assist Partner Program, or CAP. And what that is, is the annual assessments that need to be done of an institution's security posture, and we provide that at a flat rate for three to five years. So their assessments are always taken care of. They don't need to renegotiate it, but more importantly, we can bring back every year the prior year's scores and show how they're improving or not. So are you offering an a la carte menu or trying to, for the whole, the whole package here? Uh, we'd much rather get the whole package, but we often do sell all cart. Uh -huh. and, and then your your ASP. Uh, it varies depending on the. It depends greatly on the the service and the capabilities of the client. Okay, so so where do you guys most win out, and in, in, in what size deal or what size hospital? You know, I think that's changing rapidly. Actually. Um, you know, I, I will, and granted, I'm only 100 days in, but I would say anecdotally, our sweet spot historically has been the smaller institutions that need a lot of help. Uh, but over the last few years, we've really started to penetrate into the larger systems to the point where uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we announced that uh, for one of the nation's largest health systems, we will be providing their patient privacy monitoring services in a multi-million dollar, multi-year deal. Um, so, you know, obviously, as we can penetrate into the higher end of the market, uh, that's certainly helpful for us because it represents larger uh, kind of reoccurring revenue opportunities. But that stream business that occurs even on the small folks is, um, you know, there's a real opportunity there to build trust with those clients, and we really enjoy that as well. Okay. And then what's the sales cycle? What does that look like? You know, it can vary a lot depending on the type of institution you're working at with. Um, you know, you have to remember many of these institutions are nonprofits, so their their budgeting cycle can dictate things more than anything else. Um, you know, so depending on where we hit in the budget cycle, uh, deals could close very quickly 
if they've got additional funds or maybe they were recently breached and realized that they've got some vulnerabilities they need to close up. Or on the other hand, if it's more of a strategic project, it could be a year or more as we wait for that budget to fall in line. And then, you know, I'm thinking of all the the people involved, and I'm just wondering, how fast could you grow in a, in a perfect world, I, I, you know, constrained by people? What would be a good growth rate to look at? Historically, the company has grown at 17 to 22% a year, um, which feels about right for organic growth. But I think the real wild card is inorganic growth. You know, if you look at things like Backbone, where we can pick up several million in revenue with no overhead and uh, integrate companies like that very quickly, you know, that becomes the pathway from how you move from 20 million to 50 million to 100 million in a, in a much more expeditious time frame. Okay. And, and if we look over the next 12 months, um, any specific events or catalysts that we should look for? Um, I think, you know, you really start to see us replumb our sales and marketing team. Um, I think as we start to see some successes there, that will really get the momentum moving that will get us back on the uh, organic growth engine that we all need to see. Okay. Uh, and and after you landed, was it much different than you, than you thought before you joined? Oh, well, look, I've done – I spent a lot of my career – working on acquisitions, so I'm, I'm accustomed to being kind of drop-shipped into new management teams and having to figure them out. So, you know, you um, – how do I put this? You, you kind of get accustomed to expecting the worst and hoping for the best. Uh, I think in this case, I was able to assess a lot of it before coming in and uh, able to determine that, you know, where the challenges were were pretty much exactly where I thought they would be, and now it's just a matter of doing the work. Okay. Was there some low-hanging fruit, or it's more just block and tackle now? No, it's mostly just block and tackle. I mean, the the toughest challenge that this company has to date is as they went through the divestiture, they really took their eyes off the ball from a sales and marketing perspective. A couple departures combined with the fact that the former CEO was probably their biggest salesperson, and, you know, you start to see that pipeline drop off. that's the bad news. The good news is, okay, that's an easily fixable problem. This is, it isn't like we've got a, a product that customers don't want or a sat, customer sat issue or something like that, which would be far more difficult to fix. We just need to replumb our sales and marketing people and, uh, and some of the initiatives that we have in place. So, you know, it's blocking and tackling, but it takes time to rebuild that pipeline. Yeah, the company sounds very focused now. Uh, b- before you, I let you go, is there anything that you want to leave us with or anything I failed to ask? No, I appreciate your time. Okay. Well, Caleb, I appreciate you sharing the story.